and be glad in it because Jesus has overcome everything that you or I will face in this life. He's overcome even death itself by his resurrection uh, from the dead. Uh, we're going to share uh, a little bit through the gospel, um, the gospels this morning, and um, it's what a privilege it is to look into the word, the word, because it is, well, it's a lamp. Uh, the psalm says to our feet, it's a light to our path. And you know, I was thinking um, just this week. It seems like it wasn't very long ago. But in reality, it's been a whole lot of years ago uh, when I would come to church, not yet being really a believer, not understanding what that meant. And um, I remember that everything that the church was doing seemed very odd to me. Anybody, you know what I mean? Um, the language that they used seemed odd. The uh, the rituals that they did, the songs that they sang. And, um, well, in those days, I was actually, I guess what you could call a CEO churchgoer, a, a Christ, uh, Christmas and Easter only. And, um, and because of that, I, didn't, I couldn't assemble everything that uh, they were talking about or experiencing. And uh, if... If in any way uh, you're like that this morning, um, my intent this morning is to try to assemble some of the dots, connect some of the dots for us. And, and let me say, having said that, that I'm still connecting those dots. You know what I mean? You see, the Christian life isn't, um, isn't just one experience it is a whole series of experiences by which the glorious gospel, the good news of Jesus, and how it impacts our lives becomes clearer and clearer and clearer until ultimately, uh, well, I just suspect we step through this, this shroud where we're just seeing everything as it was truly meant to be. Well, um, let me, I got just four slides or five slides this morning, so let me uh, put a couple up here, and it's my intention to be very simple this morning, but um, I want to, first of all, before I begin sharing about the resurrection and the promise of new life, I want to look at a couple of scriptures with you, if I may. And uh, they're actually, I've been reading through the Gospel of Mark, just in my own life and devotions and I don't know about you, but I hope you're reading somewhere in the New Testament for your own uh, feeding of your own spiritual life. But I've been in the book of Mark, and I've been fascinated by um, a number of statements and then how the early disciples responded to those statements. Well, the first one comes from Mark chapter 8. So I'm going to look at one in Mark chapter 8, one in Mark chapter 9, and one in Mark chapter 10 and then proceed through um, uh, sharing what I want to share this morning. And in Mark 8, uh, verse 31, Jesus was walking with his disciples now, and he began to tell them about things that were yet to come, things that were going to happen uh, in his future and in their future. And verse 31 says, And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed... And after three days, rise again. 
Now, to be sure, they could understand the content of that, but they didn't get the implication of that. So, as time sort of went on, and if we turn over now to Mark chapter 9, it's only one chapter later in the book of Mark, but a number of things had happened. And Jesus then, in verse 31 again, in Mark chapter 9, said um, that He taught His disciples and said, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise on the third day. But verse 32 says, But they did not understand this saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Have you ever had a question you were afraid to ask because you just thought it would seem stupid or, you know, you'd seem foolish? We all do that. Well, this is now the second time where Jesus began to speak to his disciples about what was ahead of him, and what, in fact, was ahead of them. And now if you turn over to the next chapter, Mark chapter 10, lo and behold, beginning at verse uh, 32, about the middle of the text there, it says, Then he took the twelve disciples aside and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Now this is the third time. And he said, Behold, we're going to go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And verse 34 says, And they will mock him, they will scourge him, that means beat him, whip him, uh, and spit on him and ultimately kill him. And on the third day, he'll rise again. Three different times. And... Uh, if you read then the end of each one of the Gospels, Matthew, uh, Mark, as I've just read from, Luke, and John, in every case, in each of those four Gospels, it said something to the effect that they just quite didn't understand. They didn't believe. They couldn't access what he was saying. And, for example, in Luke chapter 24, you don't need to turn there, Jesus said, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? This is after he was raised from the dead. He was appearing uh, to them. And then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all of the things uh, must be fulfilled which are written of me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning uh, me. Well, Jesus was attempting to help his disciples um, access the deep, uh, rich reservoir of truth that he was embodying. But they didn't get it. And I can relate to that, because I don't always get it. And maybe you can sort of relate to that, too. You know, um, this, this gospel... Uh, is a simple one, but I think the church has made it awfully difficult. Now, now, granted, there's a lot in this Bible, if you read it from Genesis all the way to Revelation, or maps, as I like to say. There's a lot in there to sort of understand. Um, and so this morning, what I would like to do is just to consider um, that, that the early disciples couldn't believe even though they saw Jesus after his resurrection. Now, if that's true for them, it's probably also true for us, and it's okay to say so. It's okay to go, yeah, I, I believe, but yet there's so much more for me to understand. So I want to connect the dots. I want to do so. I brought a little coin with me, um, and 
and as I was thinking about, you know, God, how do you want me to simplify the vast reservoir and truth of, that is embodied in the person of Jesus and what he came to do and accomplish and how he lives right now? He said, well, just take a coin and look at both sides of it. So I'll just flip a little coin, and on one side of my coin, it's a quarter, there's a heads, and on the other side is a tails. Now, the reason I bring that is a very simple one. There's two sides of one coin. But the church isn't very good at understanding the tension that exists in this example between the death of Jesus, if you will, tails, uh, and the resurrection or the life of Jesus, heads. Uh, and many of us tend to sort of light on one and sort of fixate on one. I'm talking about in the church at large, uh, or we land on the other side and we like it, but, but the death and the resurrection of Jesus is really an integrated whole. You can't have a resurrection without his death. And his death uh, is, is, is in many ways irrelevant without his resurrection. They are an, an, an integrated um, whole. So um, uh, let me uh, share that this difficulty that the disciples had of believing um, the full impact of the death and the resurrection of Jesus um, really had a major impact in their lives. And I believe that it was years, honestly years, before Jesus' disciples really understood the full implications of who Jesus was and what he came to do and the ultimate result of his having come and been raised from the dead. Which gives me hope because I'm still in process. You know, I'm still trying to connect the dots in my own spiritual uh, pilgrimage. But let me, let me begin by um, asking you to turn to the book of Romans. Now, uh, we're going to look at Romans 5 and Romans 6 for a few minutes here. And uh, what we're talking about is that the death and the resurrection of Jesus, heads and tails, are in fact an integrated whole. And um, the first thing that I want to share this morning is something that I believe the church at large um, pretty much understands. I say pretty much understands. And uh, I just put it over here in a very... The, in, what is the most simplified form that I could communicate uh, who Jesus was and what he came to do and the results for us? And, and the first thing I heard in my spirit is that Jesus died for me. Now, we all know that at, at, at one level. Uh, but I want to look at um, Romans chapter 5, and I want to look at, uh, well, you'll see verses 6, verses 8, and verses 9, and help us to access what it means for Jesus to have died for me. And, of course, you would turn that around and say, Jesus died for, for me. See, Jesus died for each one of us. And that's the beginning of the good news. So um, look at Romans chapter 5, verse 5, and uh, let me just read it. Jesus actually died um, for me. Now, verse uh, 6 says this, for when this now this is Apostle Paul. Now the Apostle Paul was not one of the original disciples. He actually was living as a, a contemporary, but it was a number of years later before the resurrected Jesus met him on a road on his way to Damascus. And he had this experience of having encountered or been encountered by the resurrected Jesus. 
And he then began to connect dots for those of us who are alive today. And I would suggest that the early disciples didn't fully understand um, all that the Apostle Paul came to understand because it was, it was so new to them. Well, let me read verse 5, or actually verse 6. Romans 5, verse 6. And when, uh, for when we were still without strength, that means in a weakened, a spiritually weakened condition, when we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now we literally could spend a day talking about the implications of that. What, what does it mean for, uh, uh, to be without strength? What does it mean um, when it says in due time? It means at just the right uh, opportunity, at just the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. What are, what are ungodly? We could spend all of our time filling out those sort of concepts, but what I want to share with you this morning is that what it means when Jesus died for us, or when Paul says, at just the right time, um, uh, Christ died for us, it means that He actually died in your place. He, Jesus, now, this is so common to us that we lose sight of the deep reality of what Jesus did. He died for me, and by that little preposition for, it means He died in my place. He died in your place. He died in our place. Now, I want to look at that because Paul begins to fill that out, to add concepts that are rich there, that, that at just the right time, Christ died for us. Now, look at verse 8. Um, it, it, it means that we were helpless, and at the right time, Jesus did something that it wouldn't matter if you died. You couldn't have done what he did when he died because of his sinlessness. So Paul says that at just the right time, Christ died for us. But then look at verse 8. It says this, In doing so, God demonstrates his love toward us in this. God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, that's what Paul meant by in a weakened state, dying for the ungodly. Jesus died for me uh, when we were absolutely unable to understand it. Jesus went to a cross and he died in my place. Now, now it, it gets better. Look at verse um, 9. Verse 9 says this, much more than. Now, not only in a weakened state did Jesus die for us at just the right time, God then demonstrating His immense love for you and for me by sending Jesus to come and die in your place. The immense love of God that sent His Son to die for us. Now verse 9 says, much more than this. Now stay, that means stay tuned because the Apostle Paul is going to unpack what it really means for Jesus to have died for you and for me. And he says much more than having now been justified by his blood, we will be saved from wrath through him. Now, 
The word justified doesn't mean very much to us in our language because justified, it's like, well, I tried to justify my actions. And sometimes what that means uh, is that I really uh, did something foolish, but then I try to justify it and make it look right. You know what I mean? That's how sometimes we humans use that word. But that's not what the word means. The word justified is actually a legal term. Uh, It means that at, at just the right time, Jesus died in our place in order to uh, justify us, uh, justified by His blood. And that means God, it means made righteous. Now, wait a minute. We just read that at the right time when we were weak, Jesus died for the ungodly. That's right. And now what Paul is saying is that when He died for us, He, God, justified you and me, by His blood. In other words, He made you righteous. Now, let me tell you something. The church at large will shake their head and go, yep, okay, yep, yep, I'm righteous. But we, like the early disciples, don't really get it. I mean, in its full implication. But, God's, uh, but Paul says, uh, verse 9, much more than having been made just and righteous by His blood. The question is, how strong and how sufficient is the blood of Jesus when it comes to your foolishness and mine? Is it strong enough to pay for every foolish thing you say? Is the blood of Jesus sufficient to justify and make you righteous even when your attitude, well, is less than what it should be? Is the blood of Jesus strong enough to justify and make you righteous even when you do morally bankrupt, foolish, would you allow me to say the word stupid things? You see, now that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at. When you were absolutely weak, and unable to do anything about your ungodliness, verse 6, at just the right time, Jesus was sent in order to demonstrate the love of God that is so enormous we could never get it in this building, nor could we get it into our heads. That God loved me enough to send His Son so that by Jesus dying on the cross for me, And in my place, God now justifies me as if I have never sinned before. Now that, brothers and sisters, is the beginning of the gospel, the good news. That Jesus died for me. Now, not only did Jesus die for me, justifying me. You and I like to think about the word justify. Just as if I'd never sinned. Now I promise you, statistically, the church is filled with people who will say, yep, 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 and they don't have a clue. Because they're still trying to work out of their own performance, hoping that their performance will justify them. Beloved, it is only the blood of Jesus that can justify you and make you righteous before a holy God. 
I'm not saying you shouldn't uh, change behaviors and do things, but that will never justify you. Only the blood of Jesus. But more than that, verse 9, much more than having been made just and righteous by the act of Jesus spilling His blood, we are now saved from His wrath. Oh, now that's a whole different level. You see, not only are we made just and righteous by a holy God, but this now, Paul is now saying, we're now saved from His wrath. Well, what does that mean? It means that when we were ungodly, we deserved the wrath of God. But now, Jesus died for me in my place in order to make me just and righteous in His eyes. And that, brothers, averts, and sisters, averts the wrath of God. Now what does that mean? That means that insofar as God is concerned, I am now unpunishable. Think about it. If the blood of Jesus justifies me fully, and if the blood of Jesus uh, averts or turns away God's wrath, and that's what verse 9 uh, says, that um, more than this, having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Now let me just kind of dwell on this for just a minute. Jesus took our sin on Himself. He took the punishment that you and I deserved. Jesus died for me. Now, many people live their lives believing that God is just on the verge of being angry at them. Now, think about that for a minute. Many people live their lives as if, sort of on a tightrope, you know. You understand what I'm saying? That if I just misstep at all, the, the wrath of God's going to break out on me. That theologically, is an error. That is presuming that somehow you're going to stay on the line and just walk it perfectly, and that in and of itself is going to make you just in the eyes of a holy God and avert His wrath. No. You see, the blood of Jesus, when Jesus died for me, He justifies us, makes us righteous, and turns away His wrath. Now, where did His wrath go? You see, God is holy. And God is just. But His wrath was put on another person. That's why this is so important. Jesus died for me. The wrath that I deserved went to the Son of God on the cross. Is that good news for anybody? Now, God is not just on the verge of, of breaking out on you because He's angry at you because of your sin. Now, go back to verse 5, verse 6 here. For when we were still without strength, Christ died for us. And He demonstrates His love toward us when we were yet sinners. If God loved us when we were still sinners, how do you think God looks at you now that you're a saint? Now, I'm pressing you. I'm pushing you to consider the full implications of why Jesus came and why Jesus died. You see, many people live like God's just on the verge of, of His anger toward you, but in reality, well, 
This sounds kind of tongue-in-cheeky. God's in a good mood toward you. Many of you really believe at a functional level God is the grumpiest old man getting ready to break out his wrath and pull out the stick and whop your hide because you deserve it. Come on. Is that the truth or isn't it? But the fact of the matter is, what Paul is saying here is that when we were helpless, God demonstrated his love toward us, having justified us by his blood, saved us from his wrath, and, and God declares then that we are righteous and he turns his wrath away from us and we are now unpunishable. Jesus took our sin on himself and he took the punishment that we deserved. How do you think now God looks at you? If when he looked at you when you were a sinner, he, his love and compassion uh, drove him to send Jesus, his son, to die for you, how do you think he looks at you now? The Father looks at you through the eyes of Jesus. He looks at you through the blood of Jesus, which justified you, made you just, and averted his anger and his wrath. He looks at you now with eyes and heart of compassion uh, and love as sons and daughters. Now many in the church at large will make the assumption that somehow what I'm sharing with you is heresy. Because God's out to get you. God already got me, brothers and sisters. He got me through Jesus. Jesus died for me, and Jesus having died for me, He then sets me free. Well, let's look at the second truth of this, because it's, it's equally um, misunderstood by the early disciples, to be sure, and also by many in the contemporary church. And uh, Roman numeral 2 just said, not only did Jesus die for me in my place, but Jesus died as me. Now, I've said this before, but I say it again because most of the church does not understand this. What do you mean Jesus died as me? Well, let's look at a couple of things. Let's look at uh, Romans 6. You'll see verse 4, 5, 6, and 7 there. Now, this is about... Um, uh, Paul is talking about as a person who has now been justified and set free from God's wrath because Jesus died for me. Now he begins to press it even deeper theologically and practically. And he says that Jesus died not just for you but as you. Uh, so let's look at uh, verse 3 of Romans chapter 6. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, let's start with 3. Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Now you say, well, that, that's about baptism. Well, baptism is more than just a symbol. Uh, baptism is a symbol, but it is a place where a, a new believing person in what Jesus did now makes the, the choice to completely become identified with Jesus in his death, and in his resurrection. So having said that, then Paul says, Do you not know as many as were baptized in Christ uh, were baptized into his death? Which means, uh, if Jesus died for me, he also, when he, when he was, was crucified, 
I was crucified with him, and when he was crucified, so was I. And what that means is that Jesus was crucified as me. I know that's kind of hard to get our heads around because we're so linear in our thinking. Let me see if I can unpack it for just a minute. Uh, Verse 4 says um, this, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him. Now catch the image. Buried with him. Do you see the tomb? Do you see the the, the rock rolled away? Do you see Jesus, the crucified Savior, before the resurrection, was put into the tomb? And now I want you to see yourself. What Paul is saying is that uh, you have been crucified and dead with him. You've been buried with him. Now this goes somewhere if you think through and watch what Paul is communicating here. He's saying that we have been buried with him through baptism into his death and Jesus died. When Jesus died, I died. When Jesus died, he died as me. You say, well, prove that. That's where we're going. You see, now when we look at verse um, uh, uh, 4 here, when we trust Christ and invite Him into our um, lives, the Father considers the death of Jesus as your own. When Jesus died, you died. Now let's look at verse 5 of chapter 6. For if we were united together in the likeness of His death, we shall be united with Him in the likeness of His resurrection. You see, we all want to be identified with Jesus in His resurrection. We sing the songs, oh, this is awesome. But you can't get there until you've been identified with Jesus in His death, which means when Jesus died, so did you. Now Paul says the same thing in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. So this notion of Jesus dying, uh, died as me is that we are united with him in his death so that we'll be united with him in his resurrection. Now, I'm almost finished here. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That's verse 6. Knowing that our old man was crucified with him. Say that with me. Old man crucified with Jesus. Who is that old man? Who is the old man? Who is your old man? The old sinful, ungodly man. This word says that that has been buried with Jesus and crucified with Jesus. How does the church get off with this notion that I'm just a sinner saved by grace? It's true I was a sinner and it is definitely true I was saved by grace. But beloved, that is not what Paul's communicating here. He was saying that old man was crucified and buried and is dead. And if you've been identified in his death, woo, Sunday's coming and you'll be identified with his resurrection. I'll just, you know, just let it sort of steep like a tea bag. You do your own research here. Now, this... Ends then, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Jesus. Look at verse 11. Likewise also, consider yourselves dead. 
to sin. Most of us spend a whole bunch of time and a whole lot of effort considering ourselves still alive to sin. Don't we? Don't we spend a whole lot of time worrying about, well, what if I do this? What if I do that? What if I think that? What, what, and somehow, it's if I can perform well enough, God will love me. No, He demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were yet weak and sinners, He sent Jesus to die for me and to die as me. Now, let me give you one more verse in chapter 6 of Romans, and it says this, verse 7. For he who has died, who is that? That's Jesus, but who else? That's me, because I'm in Jesus. Let's read it again, and I'm going to complete it. For he who has died has become freed from sin. Anybody want to be freed from sin? How do you get freed from sin? Well, I'm going to try harder. No, you're not. You will be justified by the blood of Jesus. God turns away His wrath. He died for you. And Jesus died in you or as you. And therefore, consider yourself dead. We got a whole lot of lively Christians in the church at large who misunderstand the fundamentals of the gospel. And they're trying to do it in their, in their own self-effort in their own human performance. And I wonder why God is holding us off. We've not understood the implications of the gospel. Now let me fast forward this a little bit. Not only did Jesus die for me, He died in my place. It was a vicarious death. Jesus died as me. Romans chapter 6 for your own study. Now let's look at the next one here. Because I have been united with Jesus in His death, I will certainly be united with Him in His resurrection. What that means is that Jesus now lives in me. You see, that's the Gospel. How did a holy God arrange it so that He, a holy God, would come and live His life in the likes of me? You see, that's the question that each one of us should answer. And if we come up with the right answer, it's not because I'm good enough or smart enough or cute enough. Because I'm neither. But the blood of Jesus has, has made God uh, reckon me or to consider me holy and righteous. And therefore, He who is holy can now come and live His life in me. Jesus died for me. Jesus died as me. And now Jesus lives in me. Let's look at a couple of texts here. Um, Romans chapter 5, back to chapter 5, verse 5 says this. Um, Hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now who is the Holy Spirit? He's the Spirit of Christ. He's the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of God. There's lots of different terminology, but what that means is that when we were yet sinners, Jesus died for me. He, we died, he died as me. And now Jesus, on the day of Pentecost, the Father, Jesus was raised from the dead, ascended to the Father, and they, the Father and the Son, determined that they would send out this 
this entity, this person called the Holy Spirit who would now come into the earth and live his life in us. Jesus lives in me. Jesus lives in me. True intimacy begins with the Spirit of Christ coming and living in us. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was made available to every believer. Beloved, if you're here, say, okay, I get number one. Jesus died in my place. Got it. And I'm starting to get Jesus died as me. Okay, I, I died. That in and of itself is not going to give you the full understanding of the revelation of God. But the Holy Spirit is now available to every person who will simply tune the frequency of the transformer into him and ask him to come and live his life in you and through you. You say, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing the Christian life so well. No, neither am I. But God in me can live the Christian life fully the way he wants to live me. And you need the Holy Spirit in order to do that. We can't do it in our own steam. That's the point. You see, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was made available. Your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a couple of more scriptures here. Um, in, first, in 2 Corinthians 1.22 and Ephesians 1.22, interestingly enough, it says that the Holy Spirit has now sealed us and was given to us as a guarantee. What's he guarantee? That what Jesus did by dying for you and what Jesus did by dying as you will be guaranteed that one of these days, the Spirit now is sealing the deal so that one of these days your inheritance will be certain. Well, how do I know that, that I am living the Christian life sufficiently or good enough to be there on that day? Guess what? The good news is it's not about you. It's about what Jesus did, dying for you, dying as you, and now living his life in you. You see what I'm saying? Now let me finish this off by one more, one more section here. God has chosen to make his home in us and to dwell with us and to make us his people. That's, that's the consistent witness from, from Genesis all the way to the end of the New Testament. The new covenant was given to us to seal that deal. Now, the, the fourth thing, the first thing was Jesus died for me. And the second thing was Jesus died as me, Romans chapter 6. And the third thing is that Jesus now lives in me. The question is, why did he do that? Why does he want to live his life in me? So then I can be religious and do what I want to do. No. See, the, the reality is that Jesus lives in me in order to show himself through me. That's what the gospel is for. The Holy Spirit has been given. Your sin has been eradicated. God has said you are now sinless, justified as if you have never sinned before. His wrath is turned away from you so the Holy One who is the Spirit can come and live His life in you so other people can see Him through you. This gospel shall be preached to all the nations of the earth. And beloved, then the end will come. God has placed within us everything that we need to be involved with that process. Well, let's consider just a couple of things as we close. Jesus lives his life through me. The entire Christian life now is about stewarding his presence. I spent some time months or so ago on this. If he, God, lives his life in me, 
then I must begin to understand and steward His presence. That means every place I go, Jesus goes. That means everything I do, Jesus does. It doesn't mean He's in agreement with every place I go or He's in agreement with everything I do. But it means that the Spirit of God now lives in me and every place I go, Jesus goes. So I steward his presence, uh, realizing that the Holy Spirit uh, wants to be seen in me and through me. Now, allowing Jesus to be seen in you and then being released through you is how the gospel is shared with the world. Now, when you see someone today at your Easter dinner, perhaps, who may not be fully understanding some of what you know, Uh, What you can know for certain is that as you sit down for your uh, Easter lunch, Jesus is now sitting down at your plate with you. That's a game changer. That changes everything. All of a sudden, instead of, uh, uh, you know, me just doing my thing, I become more aware of what he wants to do. He wants to, where did this all start? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God was demonstrated in this. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, and I'll end with this, says that God was in Christ. Now, where is Christ? God was in Christ, and Christ is in us. Now, let me go back to the the Scripture. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Now, you thought I was making some of this up. Some of you, see, because you're steeped in a religious tradition that's maybe a little different from this, you're, you're wondering whether this is really accurate. Well, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has now given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. What's that mean? It means Jesus is now in me, and the gospel is now resident within me, and God gives us a ministry of helping other people access Him and it, the Gospel. So, if you're here today and you go, okay, I understand that Jesus died for me. He died in my place. I get that. But I'm not so sure about this Jesus died as me. Then you're probably laboring under a whole lot of shame and guilt that you don't measure up. And and you can't measure up. But Jesus measured up so if you haven't sort of embraced the word of God which says that Jesus died as you and that you don't have to labor anymore to perform you you may just want to ask God to to seal the revelation of that in your heart and to recognize that when Jesus was buried you were buried now now if you're here and and you know you okay Jesus died for me Jesus died as me and I, I, I sort of get that Jesus is in me, uh, but maybe you're not sure that Jesus is in you. Then that's the point at which you simply ask God. Uh, God, I'm, you know, I'm just real. I get that he's, He died for me. I get that He died as me, but I, don't, I feel sort of empty. 
then the invitation for you is to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, by your Spirit, would you come today and authenticate what I know that you died for me, that I know that you died as me, and now come and fill me up. I am empty. Fill me up with your presence. Holy Spirit, come and be released in my life. Baptize me. Fill me. Use whatever words you want to use, but you need Him. Why? Because the world wants to be seen through you and the world is sick and tired of just seeing Christians live in their own flesh the world's dying to see Jesus in us let's pray we'll be dismissed Father thank you for this resurrection day we thank you Lord for the privilege of of remembering that you died for us and that and really you died as us and also that you've come to live your life uh, in each one of us so that the world would see uh, what you have accomplished for each one of us um, I just pray today Lord that as we contemplate uh, the full measure and notion of the resurrection that we would realize that um, that you did it all oh to Jesus he did it all some of you might just need to spiritually take in a deep breath say Lord I just cease from my labors I'm under this notion that somehow I've got to perform no Jesus paid it all and therefore all to him I owe sin had left the crimson stain but he washed it white as snow let's stand and we'll be dismissed Father not only did you wash our sin as white as snow Lord not only have you separated it from us as far as the east is from the west but you've come to live your holy life in the midst of my life. Lord, help me to be a light, a lamp, an example. Lord, help me not to put my light under a bushel, but to allow other people to see you living your life through me. Some of our ministry team and elders, if you'd make your way up here to the front and if you're here today and if you want to if you need confirmation maybe that Jesus died for you um, and you want somebody to pray with you then I would invite you to come and talk with me or talk to one of the our elders or prayer uh, ministers here or maybe you need assurance that Jesus died as you you need to be filled with his presence that Jesus lives in you or you simply want to make a commitment, God, I want other people to see you in me, Jesus living his life through me. I invite you to come. But I invite you as a church, not here in these walls only, but all around this globe, any who would hear any word of this message, God, that we would do business with you and allow you to do business with us because you love us so enormously. Stick your hands out as simply a gesture of receiving benediction, good word. And now may the 
the love of God our Father, the grace, the free gift of Jesus our Savior, and the presence and the power and the person of the Holy Spirit go now with all of God's people who said together, Amen. God bless you. Hug on somebody today. Share the love of Jesus wherever you go, remembering that He loves you just the way you are.